0: uh father lauren fox is a friend of mine we've known each other for about 10 years served together on new wineskins mission board uh, before he and linda were called to move to thailand which is where they now live Uh, they are one of our newest ministry partners and i wanted to give an opportunity for you to hear from lauren so you would know the heart of one of those that we support uh, as they work uh, not only in thailand but beyond thailand you'll hear about that in the sermon so welcome lauren And welcome, Linda. Glad to have you, sir. It is a real joy to be here today. But I'm going to have to change my sermon. That singing of Psalm 51 was beautiful, and it draws out the sin that is woven through all of the readings today. And if I may paint it this way, the sin that is woven through all of the Scriptures is a dark storm. The clouds are heavy. The air is vibrant with the wind that is coming with the storm. The trees are rustling and there is a heaviness. It might be what you thought would come with the storm a week ago. You see, Psalm 51 is David's psalm. And in the middle of it, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. That specifically is an echo, a reprise of what God did to King Saul. When King Saul had sinned against the Lord, God took his spirit away from Saul and his reign as king went downhill fast from there to the point where in fact Saul was removed from the throne and his son Jonathan never inherited the crown we live in thailand and we've just seen a new king enthroned and it was an amazing very expensive, glorious event. King Saul hoped that his son Jonathan would inherit the crown. But because of his sin, the Lord removed his spirit and Jonathan was removed from the line of the throne. David... Inherited the throne instead. And now he has sinned. And God has brought his sin to David's attention. And David is realizing, oh my. I've done what Saul did. And he cries out to God, forgive me. Take not your spirit from me. Take not the crown from me and my children and my children's children. You see the storm that is brewing in Psalm 51? Likewise, in Exodus, they've sinned against God. And Moses is heartbroken. And he calls out to God and says, Do not forget the covenant that you have made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was that covenant? That covenant was that God would bless the people of God and that they would be a blessing to the ends of the earth, that all nations would be blessed through Abraham and his children. But Moses is looking upon the sin of the people and he's heartbroken dark storm clouds, the winds. There is a heaviness in the Scriptures this morning. Paul says that he is the foremost of sinners. Have you ever had one of those days where you feel like you are the worst of all sinners? Where you have confronted your own sin and wondered where do I go from here? That is the context that is woven throughout the whole of our scriptures today. And in the middle of it, we have the gospel. I need to ask a question. I need to ask this young man in the back a question. How much would be a lot of money a million dollars okay I'll work with that okay a million dollars now if I gave you a million dollars what do you think you would do spend it do you think you would jump up and down with joy when I gave it to you yes do you think you would shout Or are you a kind of quiet guy that would just kind of smile this big Cheshire smile? Hmm. A million dollars. Let's work with that. A million dollars is a lot of money. And if I gave you a million dollars and you lost it, what do you think you would do? I would cry. Somebody said, I would pray. We're in church. That's a good answer. There was a young girl who went to a park to fly a kite. But before she began to fly the kite, she took out her backpack and put it on the picnic table. And out of the picnic table, she pulled out one piece of money It was a million dollars. She smiled. She reached in. And she pulled out a second. It was also a million dollars. And again and again. A hundred times. Put the stack of a hundred million dollars on the table. Came to fly the kite. Do you know what kind of weather there was on that day? A little bit of wind, right? Wind grabbed one of those hundred, I mean, one of those million dollar bills and it fluttered away. And in that moment, she had to make a decision. Did she get up from the table and run and chase that one piece of paper? Floating in the wind. After all, just a moment ago, you said that if you lost a million dollars, you would start crying. So let's go chase it, right? But it's a windy day. What do you think would happen to the other 99 million dollars? While I'm chasing the one that has blown away. They too would be scattered, wouldn't they? So likewise, Jesus is telling this parable and the the shepherds and the people in the crowd are hearing the parable and they're saying, no way. Because if an ordinary person only had five or six sheep, they'd get together with their neighbor and they would hire a, a shepherd, a hireling, to watch over the flock. But each one only had Five or six of their own. And so if one sheep went missing, they wouldn't give up the 99. They'd hold on to it because that's more than enough to live on. I think I could live on $199 million. The people, when they heard the parable, heard it as ridiculous. So what did they hear in the middle of that ridiculous parable? They heard of the extravagant love of God, the exuberant joy of heaven, the overwhelming grace of God, that God would set aside the 99 million Or the ninety-nine sheep to go looking for the one. King David had sinned. He knew what had happened to King Saul. He knew what righteousness would be. That he would be found guilty and held accountable. And he cried out, create in me a clean heart. He knew that justice would be no. Saul lost his crown. You lose your crown too. But he cried out to God. Likewise, Paul speaking to Timothy says the same thing. I am the foremost of sinners. But the mercy of God fell upon me. cried out and God redeemed Paul. God restored David. Jesus said the shepherd would chase the one that had run off. Even though the other 99 would probably run off while he was chasing the one. But Jesus would not let a single sheep be lost. So in the midst of this storm, all of a sudden the clouds part and there is joy to be had. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he interrupts what he's writing to give that testimony that I am the chief of sinners and yet God has restored me. So let me interrupt my sermon. to say likewise i am a sinner to say likewise jesus stretched out his arms on the cross for me to say likewise that god has not taken my ministry away from me to say likewise that god is at work still filling me with His Holy Spirit, leading and guiding me. And to say that that because He has forgiven me, I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with anybody and everybody that I can. My cup runneth over. It doesn't make sense up and leave my two college age sons and go with my wife back to Asia I was enjoying being rector of the parish do you enjoy being rector of the parish it is a rich ministry it is a rich life maybe not a rich wallet but it is a delight it is a joy It is a blessing. But God called us to go to the ends of the earth. Over the last year, we've traveled, I believe, to six different countries. We've encouraged others, most of whom are working where there are very few, very few believers in Jesus Christ. We we're in one city of about 3 million people. And as far as we know, there are only 3 or 4,000 followers of Jesus in that whole city. 3 or 4,000 among 3 million. That means the vast majority of the people in that city will be born, will go to school, will grow up, will get married, Will have children, will grow older, will grow weak, and eventually die without ever meeting a single follower of Jesus Christ. A single follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible has not been finished in the translation into their language, they are at the ends of the earth. Why would anybody go there? Could would be living comfortably in Melbourne, a, a stone's throw away from the beach. Well, a little bit more than a stone's throw, but a short drive from the beach. The only time we have to worry about the weather is when hurricanes roll through. There's no snowstorms, don't have to shovel snow. And yet God called us to go. And it is all because of this parable. See, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And whether we're talking a hundred sheep or a hundred million dollars, it's a drop in the bucket for the Lord. And He will go to the extreme end To save you and to save the individuals that are at the ends of the earth. God's love knows no limit. God's generosity never has a stingy day. There is exuberance in the parable. Paul illustrates that exuberance best in his writing to Timothy. So after talking about his sin, after talking about his forgiveness, I want you to see what happens. Let me read the whole passage again. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord, I prefer to translate the word grace, the generosity. I mean, who talks about grace as... Outside the church. But everybody knows what the meaning of the word generosity is. That's what grace is. It is the generosity of our Lord. It overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Overflowed. Some people are pessimists. The glass is half full. Some are optimists. The glass is half full. No, I got that backwards. Some are pessimists, the glass is half full. Some are optimists, the glass is half... I still got it wrong. Okay, let's try this again. Some are pessimists, the glass is half empty. Some are optimists, the glass is half full. But when we use the word overflow, The reality is that there are free refills. And God continues to come back every time your glass is half empty or half full and he keeps pouring it and pouring it and pouring. God's generosity overflows. For me, who were to believe in Him for eternal life. God was working in my life not only to give me salvation, but to use me as a teaching for others so that others could see that God would be patient with me because I am blankety-blank stubborn, and yet God continues to work in me as iron sharpens iron to redeem me, to reform me, To remake me, to heal me, to, to work in me. His work. And then notice what happens next. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is writing. And in the middle of this, he breaks out in song. Now, you don't really want me to break out in song because I don't sing very well. But that's exactly what happens. Go back to the beginning of the sermon. The song that we sang of Psalm 51. There is a heaviness. There's a season of Lent. There is the clouds moving in as we think about the sin that is in our own lives. The ugly sin is relatively easy to deal with. I doubt anybody in this room has murdered anybody. But the sneaky sin, the sin that your boss at work might even like, it invades our veins and the storm is closing in. But then we think of the grace of God that he, God Almighty, would stretch out his arms on the cross and forgive me, forgive each of us and commission us to be witnesses of God's patience to the ends of the earth. All of a sudden the the dark clouds spread out and the sun beckons down. And there is joy, inexplicable joy, that just wells up and the angels in heaven rejoice over you and me and the one individual at the ends of the earth. The joy is like sunshine breaking through the clouds and it just becomes a glorious Florida day filled with the wonder of Jesus. And we sing. Paul breaks out in the middle of his writing into a song. The angels sing. Oh, right now I wish I was a musician. Because right now I want to sing. I want all of us to stand up and dance. Because that's the joy. That's the generosity of God that just overwhelms. And it doesn't make sense. If you only have a million dollars and you lose it. It's a bad day. But if you've got a hundred million dollars. It doesn't make sense to go chasing the one. That gets blown by the wind. And yet God is willing not to do things the way you and I do. In order to manifest his glory. His grace. He will pursue you. To the ends of the earth. He will pursue you in the darkest of days. He will pursue you to work in you and to work through you. Because God doesn't work on a stingy bank account. God works out of generosity, grace, unlimited, extravagant. Indeed, Paul says to the Ephesians that God lavishes his love upon us. Think about that word, lavish. You know, that's when you get decked up, put on a tuxedo and a bow tie, get out the gold cufflinks, buy brand new shoes, and you hire the limousine. Lavished upon us. This morning, in a few moments, we as a congregation are going to say the confession of sin, and we're going to go back to the dark clouds. We're going to go back to Lent. But then we're going to break bread. And we're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to go to the dark clouds, but then we're going to go to the joy and the light of Easter morning. When the light that came out of the empty tomb was so bright that the Roman guards that were standing there fell over. The joy of God overwhelms us. Free refill after free refill. God is going to move among us and we go from Lent to Easter morning. We go from Jesus on the cross to Jesus empty in the tomb. So as you draw near to the table this morning, I invite you to open your hands and say, God, fill me with that joy. It may not make sense in mathematical terms. It may not make sense to a businessman. Lord, I want it. Fill me with your joy. Help me to hear the angels in heaven rejoicing, not not only over each of us, but also over those individuals that are in the mountains and in the deserts and in the jungles around the world, including the urban jungles. Where God is reaching out one person at a time and bringing the gospel to them. Because God never gives up. God never gives in. Jesus Christ. You've seen it. Football players put it on their cheeks. John 3.16 For God so loved Gainesville. No, that's not what it says, does it? For God so loved the... Try that again. I know we're Anglicans, but come on. For God so loved the? Much better. Every single one of us around the world. Where there are lots of churches across the street from each other. And where there's no church building yet. God so loved the world. The angels rejoice. And whether it's a hundred million or a hundred hundred million. God will go and chase each one of us. To him be the glory and the power and the praise, the majesty and the splendor. To him be the joy and the wonder. To him be my obedience and my life. God be the glory.